Hello, so today we are continuing on our series through the book of Nehemiah as we begin to think a little bit around the theme of building, of building the kingdom of God, of what it means to partner with God in that building process. And so Nehemiah is a builder in the Old Testament. He rebuilt the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem and we began looking at his story last week. And you know, I just have a real sense that God wants us as his church to be builders with him. You know, Builders in the new thing that he wants to do. Builders in our cities, in our communities. You know, people who are bringing restoration and strength uh, as we look to partner with God in what he wants to do, building his kingdom, whatever our situation is, wherever it is that God has us. So last week we saw how Nehemiah's adventure, his story began in the place of prayer. It began by allowing God to break his heart for his people and for his cause. Uh, And so now as we move on to chapter two in the book of Nehemiah, we begin to see how he moves from that place of prayer to the place of planning and preparation. And so that's the theme that we're going to look at and explore a little bit more today. Because, you know, maybe for some of us, we're beginning to get a vision. We're beginning to get a sense of something that God is putting on our hearts to build and to partner with him. But what do we do with it now? You know, what do we do with the things that God is placing on our hearts? How do we prepare? How do we plan? How do we get ready? And so hopefully we'll begin to see a little bit uh, of what Nehemiah did in that process as we read this chapter together. So Nehemiah 2, uh, starting from verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favour in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the Chandrephrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of the Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. When Sambala and Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any other who 
would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. Amen. Now I wonder, have you ever attempted a big job without a plan? Have you ever attempted a big task without first preparing, making a plan? And I was re- I was watching um, some old episodes of Friends recently. Sometimes I just find it hard to find new TV series to watch and I like to go back and watch some of the golden oldies. And I came across the episode where Ross buys a new sofa. And I'm sure lots of us are familiar with this episode. So Ross has a new apartment, he needs a new sofa, he goes to the store, finds the one he likes. But when he sees the cost he has to pay for delivery, he decides then and there that he's not paying for it and actually he would be much better off just taking the sofa himself. You know, he doesn't want to pay the cost of delivery and he wants it now. Uh, And if you've seen it, you'll remember that moment where he gets Rachel, his other friend, to help him with the sofa and they carry it off down the street back to his apartment. All's going well until they arrive at the stairs to his new flat. And as they try and lift the sofa up the narrow winding staircase, it's then that they realise that they're in trouble. Cue some hilarious scenes, having to rope in more of the friends to help, and the word pivot a lot. You know, any Friends fans will know exactly the scene that I'm talking about, but ultimately it ends in disaster, with the sofa somehow being ripped in two and Ross back at the store looking for a refund, claiming that it was a faulty sofa. (laughs) See, Ross was hasty. He didn't want to pay the extra cost to get the sofa delivered safely and he hadn't taken the time to think through a plan of how he was going to get the sofa to his new apartment. He was impulsive, he was reactive and ultimately it cost him the very thing he wanted and what he had paid for. (laughs) See Nehemiah wasn't hasty, Nehemiah wasn't impulsive, he waited for God's guidance and timing and on an opportunity. You know, chapter two actually starts about three to four months after chapter one. So once Nehemiah had received the vision, he didn't rush into it, but actually he planned and he waited. And when the opportunity arose, he knew exactly what to ask for. And as I read the the first part of chapter two, I think the verse that really stood out for me was particularly when the king said to Nehemiah, what is it that you want? You know, here we have the king of all of Babylon asking Nehemiah, a Jew, what is it you want? And what's more, it was a question that he was prepared to answer with resources. How did Nehemiah get to such a favoured position? How did Nehemiah get to this place where the king of Babylon, in all his power and authority and with all his resources, was prepared to give them to Nehemiah? As I thought about this, I realised that Nehemiah had served and honoured the king. He had diligently served the king. He had faithfully served the king and he won favour with him. And we actually have no idea how long Nehemiah served the king as a cupbearer. You know, we're not told how he rose to this position of, of prominence in a foreign land. But what we can see from the text is that Nehemiah... Uh, serves and honours the king. He reveres the king. We see that in the language he uses as he speaks to the king. And as a result, he finds favour, favour with the king and also with God. 
See, actually, it was his season of servanthood that released the resource for his calling. <laughs> Being a cupbearer may at first appear completely unrelated to building walls in a city, except that here it was part of God's plan and God's purpose and God's process to re release the resource that was needed. I wonder if Nehemiah had known long ago what the calling on his life was, if he would have become frustrated as a cupbearer. You know, maybe he would have cried out to God, you know, God, what are you doing? Why am I still here? You know, you've told me that you have a big calling on my life. I'm bored. I've had enough. I don't know. Maybe these are some of the prayers that we can tend to pray to God. But actually, the truth was that Nehemiah was exactly where God wanted him to be. I was reflecting as I was reading this on part of my own journey to plant Stirling Vineyard. Now, and part of that journey involved me moving to Essex uh, to work for a church there. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I learned in that season. Um, and before I left for Essex, I knew that God was stirring my heart for the church in Scotland. And so moving to Essex felt like a move in the total opposite direction. But on that journey, I would say that one of the most valuable lessons that I learned is that sometimes you need to serve someone else's calling before you get released into your own. Now, that's just part of God's preparation in us. It's part of God testing our hearts to see if we can be trusted, to see if we can serve. You know, can we honour others? Can we honour authority in our lives before God can then entrust us with our calling? When I moved back to Scotland, I continued to serve in the local church. Again, I knew that I was called to church plant, but I had no idea of the timing or how it was going to happen. And for some reason, I'd felt God tell me to go back to uni and study a degree that was completely unrelated to ministry. But I now realised that that was part of his plan to resource and facilitate the call, well, even though I had no idea at the time. You know, I could have tried to make it happen myself or in my own way, but I know I would have failed or I would have ended up exhausted and probably burnt out, you know, trying to make things happen in my own strength. Being impulsive and moving before and outside of God's timing can actually cause more damage than good. You know, maybe it would cause us to come back with the equivalent of a broken sofa, demanding our money back, blaming God for it all going wrong. Instead, we need to go in God's timing. We need to pay attention to the things that God is saying and speaking to us. You know, where is it that God's guiding us to in this season of our life, even if at times it feels like the complete opposite direction from the thing that God is putting on our hearts? You know, do we have peace where we're at right now? Do we feel like we are where God wants us to be? You know, when in the church context, as I just continued to serve, suddenly the opportunity arose to do the very thing that God had put in my heart to do. And as a result, I had the full backing and resourcing and equipping of the Vineyard Church, which I love. And so it just showed me again that sometimes we need to serve in areas that God has placed and led us to before we get released into that calling. And, and I think that's true for the church, but I think that's also true in our workplaces. Actually, it's true wherever it is that God has placed us, whatever it is that God's put in our hands to be entrusted with. Nehemiah served the king, but he also honoured him. He honoured his authority. I think God is interested in our ability to serve, but also to honour those that he's placed in authority in our lives, you know, in our workplaces. You know, God has created authority. Honour is a currency in the kingdom of God and honour is rewarded in the kingdom of God. 
Your honour is commanded through the Bible, the Old Testament and the New, to, to honour God, to honour our parents, to honour those in authority over us, you know, governments as well as spiritual leaders, to honour one another. See, I think that honour releases kingdom favour and blessing. And I think we see that in the story of Nehemiah. But honour doesn't mean we compromise. You know, Daniel didn't compromise. God came first and he honoured a foreign king, but he didn't compromise his beliefs. Uh, but as a result of that honour, he rose to a position of power and responsibility. You know, I think God is, on, God is interested in our attitudes to our bosses at work. You know, God is interested in how how hard we work. <laughs> you know, do we just look to do the bare minimum or are we striving for excellence? Do we strive to do things well? You know, it can be so easy to critique and to criticise. But God is watching. God is looking at our hearts. I'm reminded of Colossians 3.23 where it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. You know, I just think we need to be wary of criticalness. You know, I don't think it's wrong to critique. Uh, it's not wrong to see areas where there needs to be improvement and to have conversations around that. But there is a way to do that. There is a way to do that with one another that doesn't just criticise and tear down, but actually to do it in a way that can build up. You know, sometimes when we see something to criticise, it can be an opportunity for us to do something and serve into a situation, not just to sit back and to criticise. You know, God is interested in how we handle those moments and sometimes how we handle those crit the criticisms that we have can be key to releasing us into our calling. And I think we, we live in a time where honour is under attack, where often it can be that honour is no longer given, but it has to be earned in our own eyes. Uh, you know, we feel like we get to be the judge of whether a person is worthy of honour or not. But the problem with that is it's just not biblical. You know, honour is a currency in the kingdom of God, honouring leaders, honouring those in authority. And, God, and, and with it, as we do that, God releases his blessing. He releases his provision. And so Nehemiah honoured the king of Babylon. Uh, he spoke well of him. He served him well. And as a result, the king uh, released all the provision he needed to do the task. What is it you want? Said that king. And in, said the king. And in that moment, Nehemiah was ready. He knew exactly what he needed. He'd thought about it. He had prepared. He had planned. He had taken the time. You know, he wasn't reactive, but he was proactive in his preparation. You know, he didn't push the time scale uh, and rush to do things straight away, straight away, but waited on God's timing. He'd used that time to plan and think about the task ahead, to think about the journey. You know, he knew how long it was going to take. He knew um, that he'd have to go through enemy territory and so he asked the king for letters of protection. He'd thought about what resources it was that he needed uh, and so he asked the king for that provision. And so he's ready, he maximises that moment of extreme favour uh, and he's prayed, he's prepared um, as that moment happens. But he still waited on God's timing. But as a result, he leaves, he leaves to go to Jerusalem with everything that he needs for the task, including an army and a cavalry. I'm sure more than he could have ever dreamed or expected. And so off he goes, fully equipped, equipped and resourced. How many of us would love to receive the fullness of the resource of heaven for that what God has called us to build? Or maybe we'd rather do it in our own strength. Maybe we'd rather uh, try to do it our own way. 
But in order to receive that resource, you know, are we serving well where it is that God has us? Do we feel a peace where we are, even though it might feel like it's in the opposite direction? Are we serving well? Are we honouring our bosses, our work colleagues? Are we striving for excellence where we are? Or are we frustrated? Are we fed up? Are we trying to push ahead of God's timing? You know, part of our preparation is finding peace in the place that God has us and serving well. And, and so there's still a whole second part of this chapter that we could look at. You know, we could look at how when Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, he prioritises rest. He works from a place of rest. You know, we could look at how he takes time to survey the state of the city and looks uh, to see what needs to be done. Uh, we could look at how he relates to the people who are already there, how he identifies in their brokenness and how he casts a vision to begin to build a team. But actually, as I was writing this talk, I just felt like God wants to underline the importance of preparation. I just feel like that is a word to our church this morning, that actually as a church, we are in a place of preparation. We're a baby church preparing for God to use us. We have dreams and visions and plans that, that lots of us feel like we're just waiting for them to be let loose. But I feel like the Spirit of God wants to say to us today, prepare and prepare well. Serve well. Honour me, honour God by honouring others. Speak well of people. Work hard. Speak life and not judgment over people because God's heart is to bring life and there is power in our words. I feel like God is looking to see who he can entrust with his words. And I saw like almost the Lord raising up our church like a lamp on a hill, like a light on a hill for people to see, for people to look at, for people to be drawn to. And I felt like God wanted to say to us, make sure that people like what they see. Practice love, practice generosity, practice servanthood, practice honour. You know, when we do these things, it costs us something especially when we do them in spite of how we feel but actually God receives this as worship and he loves it and it's part of our preparation process you know there's something about the words that we speak that we say over ourselves and that we say over other others you know words are so important to God and I just feel like he wants to underline that today I'm just reminded of Proverbs 18:21, where it says the tongue has the power of life and death See, God is looking to anoint our words as we look to partner with him. And, and so he wants to challenge us this morning. Are we speaking words of encouragement? Are we speaking words of life? Are we speaking words of faith, not criticism, not negativity, not words that are, are putting people down? I just feel God wants to invite us this morning to prepare our hearts and to get ready for him to use us. Why don't we pray together? Thank you, Lord. Father, I just want to thank you what you're doing in the life of our church, Lord. I just thank you for each other. I just thank you for this incredible family, Lord. I just thank you for, God, what you are already at work building within us. And God, we're excited for all that you want to do in and through us, Lord. Father God, would you help us prepare our hearts? Lord, would you search our hearts? Would you search our hearts and just show us if there is anything offensive, Lord, in our hearts? We invite you to come. 
Lord, where there's parts of our life where we feel frustrated. Lord, would you speak peace over that, Lord? God, would you help us to serve right where we're at? Would you help us to honour one another, that you'd help us to honour our leaders, our bosses, our colleagues? Help us be faithful in the places that you have us in this season, even when it's hard, even when it's tough, Lord. And we give you this as our worship. Help us to love, help us to serve, help us to be generous. Help us to strive for excellence, Lord, in the places that you have us. I pray for patience, Lord, as we wait on you and as we wait on your timing. God, I just pray for a new clarity of your voice in our hearts, speaking to us individually, God. I just pray even now, Lord, just wherever we are watching this, I just pray that you would just speak your word in our hearts this morning. God, what are you saying to us this morning? Thank you, Lord. God, just help us prepare, help us plan so that we can partner and build with you. Continue to be stirring our hearts with dreams and visions and faith, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.